Crypto Watch is presented by theconstantinvestor.com. I'm Alan Kohler, and every day my writing and podcasts put the financial world into context with a focus on the issues that matter. Join us today. It's only a dollar for the first month. And now it's time for this week's Crypto Watch. The APAC blockchain conference wrapped up today and producer Greg Demopoulos went along to find out the latest from those in the know. Hundreds of people descended into the Pullman Hotel in Albert Park over the past few days for the second annual APAC blockchain conference developed in partnership with the Australian Digital Commerce Association. The conference brought together those from industry, government and enterprise to further explore all things blockchain. Ed Husick, Shadow Minister for the Digital Economy, says the technology can play a role in government. So we're talking a lot with people about the way in which blockchain's been used by government to improve the way it works. Um, obviously, I mean, I think the big challenge at the moment is, uh, as was identified in that great podcast that Alan Kohler did with Lord Desai, that the problem is that people are associating Bitcoin with blockchain and the importance the important task now is to say, let's focus on blockchain and what it's providing, which is, you know, for people to be able to trust each other better um, on a platform that is, in many respects, a lot more transparent and secure. And then how can government use that? So you're seeing it in different applications across the world, either, you know, from uh, what you've seen in Dubai and public transport systems through to even CSIRO here in Australia, using it in agriculture to, you know, validate... Um, you know, uh, livestock uh, as well, which has been uh, important. But the key for us now is to accelerate you know, the thinking and the adoption. And um, I was speaking today uh, to the uh, APAC blockchain conference about some avenues I think are opening up to be able to bring people working in blockchain um, to the mind of government. Um, to develop or devise ways in which blockchain can be used better. The ASX recently announced it will be utilising a blockchain-style system to replace its chess system to handle share transactions. But will the change by them be the catalyst for change within the wider business community? Yes and no. I think I, I talked with the ASX last week about what they were doing to replace chess with blockchain and recognising the value early on of um, blockchain opening up an opportunity for them to change their systems and to, uh, in particular, um, build more trust. And the other thing that, particularly within financial services, the interest in blockchain of removing third parties and reducing transaction costs. So that's a big issue in financial services. But there are others, like you would have seen in the last week, SWIFT, the you know, massive international payments platform, that's done some initial testing um, and thinking about blockchain, but saying, look, this has got a lot of potential, but don't know if we're there yet. And I think uh, that's the big challenge that's confronting blockchain right now, depending on the user. So from a user's perspective, you know, there's identified potential, it's translation into something meaningful. That's the big challenge for blockchain right now. But again, governments are looking at it and thinking innovatively, um, which is, you know, not what you expect a lot of people to say about governments. But they are thinking innovatively about how to use blockchain. And I think, you know, where we can um, stretch the usage out into the public domain for public benefit um, securely and transparently will be a good thing. When it comes to regulation, the Shadow Digital Economy Minister says inquiries into the space are already on the go. Um, there's some, there are some inquiries that are looking particularly in terms of... Um, 
the future of, of e-commerce in Australia, that that is not specific on cryptocurrency and, and blockchain. Um, and there are other agencies or bodies like the RBA that is taking or keeping an eye on the evolution of cryptocurrency, but hasn't necessarily engaged actively in the area of you know, formation of regulation. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say at this point they're adopting a wait and see approach. Um, we've seen what happens when other central banks or there's speculation that central banks might intervene. You saw what happened in South Korea and its impact on, on um, prices, cryptocurrency prices in the last uh, few months. So, you know, I think regulators are sort of taking a... When it comes to the um, financial markets and potential impacts on financial markets, they're just watching at this point. But is a wait-and-see approach the best way forward? Well, I think it's the most likely or most reasonable at this point in time. Uh, it really, the onus will now be on the community, on the advocates of blockchain, to be able to obviously demonstrate the value of the technology, to work with people in overcoming their misunderstandings about the technology, to be able to better define use, end use, and to be able to come up with ways that, uh, particularly for government that's notoriously risk averse, being able to reduce the, that, that uh, mental barrier, uh, it will be critical. So, uh, you know, I've definitely got to know, you know from a you know, parliamentarian's perspective, again, I recognise the potential and I've got a very open mind to it. And I think the thing I hate to see, I mean, it's great to see at the conference, a huge conference, massively well attended, and also the variety of speakers here as well. I mean, we had a terrific contribution by school students who've demonstrated the key thing about tech is the way it's changing behaviours. These are young people that are being influenced about technology, um, not focused on asset acquisition, but asset access to be able to accelerate you know, the arrival to outcome, to deliver new things, new, new ways of doing things. So I think we've got to do that as a nation faster and not be reliant on other countries to do the thinking for us. Nigel Dobson, banking services business domain lead at ANZ, is working on bringing blockchain technology to the property sector, making it harder for those to forge lease guarantees. We recognise that within the property sector, it's, it's regulated, there are a lot of these companies are listed. And so like banks, we have to work within a pretty uh, tight compliance framework and a regulatory framework. So in that, in that, in that sense, the, the most important um, applications of distributed ledger we've found is in areas of reconciliation and digitisation. And so in the property sector, our proposition was to take a, a digitised bank guarantee, a standardised instrument, uh, which was agreed between all the participants, um, and make sure that that was issued transparently on behalf of the tenant to the landlord. And then the tenant, um, having issued that um, guarantee from the bank to the landlord, they can secure their lease and they can get started with their business. And then on the, on the landlord side, they, they receive a digital um, transparent guarantee, which they know has been issued by a reliable party, and then they can allocate that and lock it down. That allows them to not only secure that transaction and know it's not fraudulent, but also allows them to reconcile with the lease and to give them a, a clear audit trail. Nigel says they're already working with big business, such as Accenture Group, to bring their technology to life. They had a, a major problem with fraudulent uh, guarantees uh, and they came to the banks and said, can you fix this? And, and we, we stepped up and said, uh, I think we can work with IBM to fix this problem. We think we can do a, a distributed ledger proof of concept, which allows that um, digitisation, standardisation and, and eliminates the paper. Uh, and they were delighted. And so we've moved ahead 
uh, with them in our consortium, uh, and they're a big driver of, uh, of the work um, because they're the, ultimately the end user. Um, but as I said, the, um, the, there are multiple beneficiaries. Everybody wins out of this. The, the bank uh, gets rid of a, a paper process. The tenant gets transparency and speed. And the, the, the large landlord, the beneficiary, gets uh, a digitised, standardised document they can store and they can lock down to prevent fraud. But just how far off is this technology from coming into play? Well, we, we're going into a pilot stage, having done our PAC. Um, we expect to start building the pre-production uh, network um, imminently, like in March this, this month. Um, and we, we want to spend a, a good amount of time trialling not just um, kind of dummy data, but we also want to uh, ultimately, when we're ready on the pilot um, uh, infrastructure, want to do some real transactions between banks and um, the landlord client. And that's when we will make uh, ultimately a decision to go into uh, full commercial scale. At that point, we can uh, invite a, nu- uh, a number of more financial institutions who issue the documents. Um, obviously, the tenants will get access via the bank's uh, channels. And then there are a number of property companies, large property companies, middle-sized property companies, who see this as a tremendous uh, advance on the on the traditional product, and, and they'll be keen to join as well. Henry Badgery is currently interning at the Australian Digital Commerce Association. His interest in the sector was sparked by his belief that blockchain will revolutionise society. I think my passion for blockchain technology and the potentials that it has to completely revolutionise society. Henry, who's been active in the space over the past few years, says the sector has changed dramatically. I think that there's definitely a lot of money in the industry now, uh, primarily due to speculation and the crazy gains that everyone seems to be making as of late. I think that can be a good thing and a bad thing. I'm a bit worried to see in a few years what happens when maybe 98% or more of the ICOs fail. I think that's when governments will have to come in and step in and stop things. But I think definitely with these kind of technologies, we have to let them run. We have to let their uh, true innovation come about. He believes events like these are imperative to the sector's success. I think these events are very important for bringing uh, the institutions, but also the government into the scene, because I think that's why two of the two of the parties who have sort of stayed in the sidelines and I think it's only now and in the foreseeable short-term future uh, that these people will start to enter the market and I think that's when it's going to start to mature and more regulation will come about but that's I think this these kind of events is really good for bringing those two parties back into the scene. Sam Lee is the CEO of Blockchain Global. Their company is helping bring a lot of initial coin offerings to market but how many of them are poised to succeed? Well, I see there's a lot of good, bad and ugly, but um, a lot of potential as well. It really is a funding mechanism for great opportunities and um, these opportunities, however, are somewhat immature because most of these ICOs that are launched have not got uh, good relationships with existing incumbents and corporations. Uh, Just by saying you're building great technology that can replicate the smart contracting mechanism of traditional companies companies doesn't mean that the world will decide to shift with you and and therefore to um, increase the risk of uh, well increase for success um, it is important that um, uh, industry partners are built um, uh, through a uh, alliance of sorts when it comes to the good bad and ugly what differentiates the three 
Well, for starters, uh, you can't call yourself an ICO if you don't even have a plan to list the tokens on any major exchanges. Uh, so, um, of course, that's not something that is roadmapped um, often in the white paper, uh, but um, uh, what needs to happen is uh, if there isn't an exchange listing, um, well, it's not really an ICO, it's just a token offering uh, where people end up holding illiquid tokens. Uh, also, the proper legal advice needs to be sought um, to locate in a jurisdiction that uh, firstly allows for ICO activities to take place. Um, and Australia is a great example of uh, a great uh, regulatory environment that uh, not only allows for utility-based ICOs to uh, have tokens issued, but also tokens representing equity as well. Sam is also one of the co-founders of the Blockchain Centre in Melbourne, a centre that educates those about the sector. Sam says they were the first in the world to do so. I think as an industry as new as um, blockchain, uh, it really requires face-to-face um, -face interaction so that people are able to gain access uh, to the right information on a constant basis. That is why in 2014, we created the world's first blockchain knowledge hub, which was 600 square metres of permanent space with weekly events uh, that um, attracted a growing audience. Fast forward to today, we have now got six blockchain centres all over the world and have got over a dozen MOUs signed uh, with support uh, and collaboration uh, with major corporations and governments around the world. Uh, because uh, what cannot be disputed is the need for education and um, to build a platform for dialogue between public, private sector and technology participants. Whilst there are a number of tokens and indeed coins that can be considered quite speculative when it comes to their use cases, VeChain is providing a platform to try and erase counterfeiting and forgery. Sarah Napa is the country manager for VeChain in Singapore and explains how their technology is helping to stop counterfeit wine making its way into China. So we worked with DIG and they're one of the biggest wine importers in China and they place about 1 million wine bottles on our blockchain platform. And essentially <clears throat> what we did was um, we used a combination of QR codes for the lower value um, wine bottles and NFC chips for more expensive premium bottles. And with sensors, we're able to track how the product was being managed from the chateau all the way to China. And, and all these information is being collected by sensors, right? And then it's communicated and it's embedded onto the NFC chips. Once, um, for example, a customer enters a retail store, all she has to do is to scan the QR code on NFC chip and she can see the whole product history. So when exactly did they leave the chateau? Who picked it up? And when did it enter China and into the retail store that you're standing at? So this really gives the consumer the confidence that the product that you're having in your hands is an authentic one. It's not just wine, though. VeChain is also working with a number of high-end luxury fashion labels to stop the production of fake goods. We worked with this French luxury brand. 
I can't say the name because we're still under NDA, but they essentially have a few challenges. So they outsource assembly, they they outsource storage, they outsource third-party um, logistics, right? And so they have no clear visibility on the products and how they're being managed. And then they also have like 300 over distributors. So there's offline, online stores and wholesalers, and they don't even know who the end customers really are. They don't have that kind of information. So what we did was we sewn our proprietary NFC chips into the leather bags. So in order to even get the chip, you actually have to physically destroy the bag, right? So that's one way, that's temper-proof. And these NFC chips are self-signed, so they cannot be duplicated. And each um, chip has a unique ID that's put on a blockchain platform. And with this information, um, all the third parties on in the same supply chain can now we we can actually actually track how it's how the product is being managed and how it's being used by having sensors to record the environment conditions whether it's the humidity whether it's the geolocation or whether it is um, temperature for example yeah and all these is being tracked right and so if you outsource a your your whole manufacturing to another production plant, there is a temptation for them to um, manufacture excess number of handbags and they'll sell it for their own profit or sell it to other people. And the whole idea is if you only have like an order of 500 bags, then only 500 bags should have these chips. So the, the extra bags are rendered illegal and counterfeit. So this will help in for consumers who want to purchase items in the secondhand market, potentially, yeah. And also for them, it's um, better management of the inventory. They know exactly whether the, you know, the bag looks the same, but the, the ID, it's being delivered to the right person in, in, in the distributor centers, etc. So when they launched their product, which is a limited edition collection, within the same week, um, one bag appeared on eBay. And that really, you know, was mind-boggling. They were like, is this a counterfeit bag? Are they so fast? You know, they really copied our bags. So what they did was they bought the bag off eBay and then they did a scan and they could identify it was actually a PR sample. It was given to a celebrity, a social influencer, and she sold it on eBay. So this really gives them um, great visibility on where the products actually go to. Yeah, and so they're really happy with this um, proof of concept and they intend to extend this NFC chip and um, solution provided by us to the entire range. That was VeChain's Singapore country manager, Sarah Naba, ending Greg Demopoulos' report from the APAC blockchain conference. <laughs>